The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings, starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. All right, good morning. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. We're going to read verses 11 down to verse 14 together. Together, not ver. Together. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. Let's read together. And that knowing the time. And now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lusts thereof. Praise the Lord for his word. I really like to sleep. Do you like to sleep? I really like to sleep. It seems like whenever my alarm clock goes off in the morning, I just go, wait a minute, I just fell asleep. Leave me alone. Now, the older I get, the more I find I can hurt myself in my sleep. When I was little, little guys, you have no understanding of this. When I was small, I could sleep in any way. My head could hang off of the bed. I could have my leg up behind myself. I would wake up in the morning, bounce right back, and go on with life. And how many are with me and understand what I'm talking about? The more birthdays I collect, the worse it is. Today, I have a backache. I did not play rugby yesterday. I just think I slept in a crooked spot. You know what I'm talking about? But I still really like sleep. There's just something about it, right? Really like it. Now... When my alarm clock goes off in the morning, maybe you do this, I do it. When my alarm clock goes off in the morning, I have two questions that pop in my head immediately. First question, where did the night go? Second question that follows quickly after it is this, what am I doing today? Now, if the answer to what am I doing today, if the answer is nothing, I have nothing planned, you know what I do? I turn that alarm clock off, roll over, and go back to sleep. You know why? Because I really like sleep. But if I have something going on, and I'm excited about it, you better believe it. I'm leaving the thing I like to go do something I love. Uh, example, this morning, my alarm, alarm clock did not quite go off. Sunday mornings, my alarm always goes off 4 o'clock. This morning, 11 minutes to 4, I woke up on my own. I rolled over. I touched my phone, because that's my alarm clock. I touched my phone. It lit up, and it said 11 minutes to 4. And I thought to myself, there is no sense in going back to sleep now. <laughs> and today is Sunday. By the way, that's my favorite day of the week. Sunday, and I got out of bed this morning like a ninja warrior, just slipped right out. Becky had no idea that I was at, I got up, excited, never thought the second time about going back to sleep, you know, because I knew there's something really big happening today. We're gathering with brothers and sisters in Christ and we're worshiping together. So you will give up something you really like in order to gain something you love. You follow me? You say, Pastor, I don't, I don't do that. Monday to Friday, my alarm goes off. I do not have anything that I'm looking forward to. I just have to go to work, and I am not at all excited about that. No, wait, wait, wait. I 
follow through with me, you will still get out of bed because you like the paycheck that comes with work, right? You follow me? It might not be the work, but it's the not getting fired part that you like, or you like the pay that comes with it. You will give up the lesser in order to gain the greater. And that's what our passage is saying today. I'm going to read it for you in verse number 11. Romans chapter 13, verse number 11 is going to help you with this. And here's what it says. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. In other words, wake up, wake up, because there is something better coming. And as much as we might say, oh, I really like sleep, he goes, wait, hang on, wake up, Christian. Wake up, brothers and sisters, there's something better coming. And so he's drawing us out of this. If I were to outline, and that's how I'm going to do this, I'm going to outline this, verse 11 is the overview, verses 12 to 14 are practical exhortations. So what I'll do is I'll just walk through verse 11, we'll do it phrase by phrase, We're going to talk today about walking in the light. We're going to talk about waking up. We're going to see what does the passage have to say for our lives as brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll just walk through this overview, and I'll just walk through one phrase at a time. So the first phrase says, and that. You see it in verse 11. And that. Oh, how easy it is for us to just jump over and that and get to the rest of the verse. You see the words there? And that. And then he continues on, knowing the time that now is the high time to awake. Those first two words almost seem like he's just trying to figure out a way to get into the next thing he wants to say. And and if you're not careful, you'll skip those two words. And those two words are so important. Let me give you a word that that might help you with when you're studying your Bible. This word is called, called context. Context. And so every verse within Scripture sits within its context. Context is that greater what's going on around this verse, because that verse is not sitting there in a vacuum. It's not all by itself, and all of a sudden we just happen to stumble across verse 11. That's how false doctrine is built. When you just grab a verse and say, here's what this verse says. No, no, no. This verse 11 is, is it's in a greater chapter. And so when he says, and that, here's what he's doing. He's reminding us that there is a verse 10 that was right before it. And I'll just kind of remind you what verse 10 said from last week. You owe a debt that you'll never pay off, but you should be paying on every day. And that debt is love others. And also sits within, verse 11 sits within the greater context of chapter 12 and chapter 13, which today is our seventh sermon in those two chapters which is, have a look at your life. Is your life lining up with these things? Are you offering your body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord? Have you been transformed by the renewing of your mind? Are you using the gift that God's given you to be a blessing to the church body? Are you loving others with a genuine love? Are you hospitable? Are you showing respect and honor to government authorities? Are you paying your taxes? All of these little things that we see as we walk through chapter 12 and chapter 13, and here he says, and that, it's almost like he goes, hey, don't forget all of that, because we're going to move forward, but remember all of that and bring all of that, chapter 12 and 13, into this passage. And that, second phrase, knowing the time. Knowing the time. Now, I know that you probably are thinking right now it's 9.34, and that's the time. I know the time. That's not what he's saying. The word here for time is the, the cultural age within which we live. That's the idea there. Now, there's going to be a second word time in verse 11. You see there's the first one, knowing the time, and then it says now is the high time. Those are two different words. In English, time and time, we have the same word. But we also know that in English, you have different meanings for time. This is the time, as in 934, or this is the time, as in this is the age and the way things are done in this time. And this is the one he's using. 
this current culture within which we find ourselves living. And that, so let's put those two together. And that, remember how it is that you're supposed to live? Are you lining yourself up with that while you're currently in this cultural age? And that, knowing the time, you're paying attention to how it is that the world lives, and you're having a look at how you're supposed to live. And that, knowing the time, and then the third phrase that he has here, that now is high time. That word high time is actually the word that's found in Greek, the high time. It literally means this very moment. So where we had the other one was the cultural age. We live within the cultural age, but right now is the very moment in which we must have action. So don't wait for this cultural age to find the end of itself before you decide to make a change in your life. No, this right now, this very moment is the time when you need to be making a decision to where you leave the old ways and you begin to go to new ways. This transformation that happens with the Gospel in your life, it should be coming about in your life. And if it hasn't been, make it. It's high time. Don't roll over and hit snooze. Get up. Wake up is the statement he's making. And he uses that action phrase here. And I love it. Awake out of sleep. Now is the high time to awake out of sleep. The word sleep in your English Bible shows up 82 times. Only six of them is this sleep. This sleep is the the Greek word is hypnos. And you might hear that word in a different way in your vocabulary. H-Y-P-N-O-S. It's the same word that you would have hypnosis or hypnotic. Now can you imagine here, he says, wake out of your sleep. And you can imagine, there's a way that someone, if you were to say someone is hypnotic or they're under hypnosis, they're kind of going through life, but they're not really paying attention to anything, right? They're in a bit of a stupor. This word is used six times. Very interesting. This is the only time that it's not used in a narrative. In other words, a story. Matthew 1, the first one was Joseph. You remember Joseph and Mary? The angel appeared to Joseph, and the Bible says that Joseph was asleep. That's this word here. Joseph was sleeping, and the angel appeared to him and told him, hey, by the way, the rest of your life is going to be very different because the Son of God is getting ready to be born by your fiancé. Things are going to change. In other words, there's a surprise, and you haven't been paying attention. It's okay because you're asleep. The next one was in the book of Luke, and this is Peter. You might remember Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it says that Peter, James, and John were asleep. And when they awoke, they awoke to find Elijah and Moses and Jesus transfigured. You know what you see there? Surprise! They were sleeping. How did did Elijah and Moses get here? We have no idea. We were out of it. And now they wake up and there's a difference. Okay, another one. John 11, Lazarus, you remember, Lazarus died. Jesus used this word with his disciples. He said, Lazarus is asleep. And you might remember that discourse where the disciples said, well, if he's sleeping, well, that'd be really good because he'll get healthy. And Jesus go, no, no, no. I'm doing this because I need the, I'm going to get the glory. The Father's going to get the glory and people will understand that I am the Son of God. And you remember Lazarus's situation. He was in the tomb for four days. He has no idea that Jesus is walking up outside of the tomb. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Completely change Lazarus's life. And for the rest of Lazarus's life, he is the tourist attraction that people come to see the guy who raised from the dead. The fourth one is in the book of Acts, chapter 20, a guy by the name of Eutychus. You might remember that story. Eutychus was up on the third floor that Paul came and met with the church at Troas. And Paul's, up, uh, Paul's preaching, it's in the middle of the night, and he was definitely, there is no doubt in my mind, Paul was a Baptist preacher because he preached so long. And poor Eutychus was sitting in the window and fell asleep. 
like a Baptist church member. (laughs) And out the window he went, and he fell three floors down to the ground and died. Scripture says he was taken up dead. And Paul says, hang on, hang on, comes down, spreads his body across of it, prays over Eutychus, and Eutychus comes back to life. Same word, hypnos. He fell asleep in the window. Actually says it twice. He fell asleep in the window and fell being asleep. I can just imagine. He got shocked out of his mind. Probably on his way down. <laughs> and then again when, when Paul rose him, rose him from the dead. And here the Apostle Paul tells us, wake from your stupor, your sleep. As a believer, it is possible for you to be going through your life acting or thinking that you are a Christian and acting like the world. And that, remember, there's a way you're supposed to be living. Knowing the age, the time, this now is the time to change. Put off that old way. There is a surprise, by the way, if you're just going through and it's just a stumble through and you're just making your way through life, there's a surprise coming. And He's going to give us what that surprise is in verse 11. There's a surprise coming. Just like Eutychus, there He is on the ground, dead. Just like Lazarus, there He is in the tomb, dead. Just like Peter, asleep on the mountain while Moses, Elijah, and Jesus glorified are walking around. Don't be like those guys. Wake up. Open your eyes. Realize there's a change that should have been happening in your life by now. For, look at the end of verse 11. And here's the surprise. For, now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. That is the reason that you should wake up. Say, Pastor, I'm awake. No, 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 no. I'm talking about in your spiritual life, you should not be going through your spiritual life just stumbling through. I come to church on Sunday and then I go home and I continue to do just the way that everybody else does. No, your life should be different. You should be transformed by the Gospel. Have a look at seven weeks worth of practical things that you should have been doing by now. And if you're not, wake up! Wake up! Why? For? The word for is because. For now is your salvation nearer than when you believed. Now, I've got to explain what this word salvation means. Because I know that you're thinking, wait, I believed and with belief came salvation. There are three very clear portions of salvation in your life. If you're a believer, there's three very clear portions. One is justification. We've used these words in the past. Justification happens, Romans chapter 4. You put your trust in Jesus and God declares you righteous. In that moment, you are righteous before God. That's justification. Justified in the eyes of God. By the way, you need that. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, God sent Jesus, His Holy Son, to take your sin upon the cross of Calvary so that you, when you put your trust in Him, will receive the righteousness of God upon you. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The great exchange. He takes your sin on the cross. He gives you His righteousness. And in the eyes of God, you are justified. That's when you believe in Jesus. If you've never done that, friend, I will give you an opportunity at the end. And I ask of you, please do not put it off. For the eternal implications are massive. That's justification. From justification, you move into sanctification, and that will happen for the rest of your life. You trusted Jesus, and for the rest of your life, you are being conformed to the image of His Son. That's sanctification. Progressively, you are being conformed to the image of Jesus. You are changing from one degree of faith to the next. Justification was Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. Now Romans chapter 1 and verse 17 is your sanctification. The righteousness, for therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Your life will be changed. You'll be sinning less. 
And you'll be hating sin more. And that will happen for the rest of your life. That's sanctification. Now the third part is glorification. Now glorification will happen at one of two times. There's only two times that you'll ever get glorification. And both of them you end up in the same place. In heaven, with God, forever. And there's only two ways that will happen. One is the rapture of the church. By the way, it's still coming. And the second way is if you close your eyes in death and you open your eyes forever with Him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so there's only two ways you'll ever get glorification. And glorification is forever you are perfect and without sin, made in the image of His Son, forever you will be with God, separated from this sinful body with all of its illnesses and all of its pains, you will be freed, glorified. You can hear it in the Word. Glorification. And by the way, the rapture of the church is still a promise of God. And remember, He never fails on any of His promises. That is one of the prophecies, by the way, that is yet to be fulfilled. There has not yet been a rapture of the church. It has not happened. Those who are in Christ will be resurrected. I'll share a couple of verses with you that might help you remember this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So when a brother or sister in Christ passes away before you and I, we can comfort one another with these words that there's coming a day when the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. Not He won't send a messenger to just give us some hope. No, He Himself will descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel. In other words, the archangel will stand off to the side and say, all of you who are dead in Christ, arise. And a trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise from the graves. They will go before us. We will not prevent them. We will not be able to stand on top of the grave and hold them back. They'll just go. They'll go before us, and then you and I who are alive and remain will be caught up with them in the air. I don't know if that will happen in our lifetimes. In my lifetime, I don't know, but I sure hope so. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And He doesn't just say it one time. He says it twice in Scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery. In other words, you've never seen this before. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, this is a promise, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Brothers and sisters, this is a promise. The rapture will happen. Don't let people tell you, well, how many 2,000 years have gone by In the Apostles' day, they looked forward to the return of Christ. And in today's day, we continue to look forward to the return of Christ. When will it happen? I don't know. Neither does anybody else. And it's useless to try to guess. It's a waste of time. Christ Himself said, only the Father in Heaven knows when that will be. And so when that day comes, we will be changed, glorified forever. And so He says, wake up! In verse 11, wake up! Your salvation is nearer than when you believed. In other words, when you believed, you were justified, but you weren't yet started into sanctification. And now as you're moving through in your sanctification, there should be a change. Because the more you hate sin and the less you're sinning, the closer you're getting to be glorified. So your glorification, your salvation is nearer. It should be nearer. Don't be hanging out back here and I got saved and I'm good to go and I'll just wait. You should have a change in your life. It should be different. So now let's move into verses 12 to 14 and we'll see the practical exhortations. It is high time, this very moment, awake from sleep. 
Your salvation is nearer than when we believe. That's the overview. Here's our practical exhortations. Let me read verses 12 to 14. I see them as a set of do's and don'ts. He's going to follow in the same thread, the same picture of darkness and light, sleeping and being awake. I see them as do's and do's. Let me read verses 12 to 14. Verse 12, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. I'll start with the don'ts. Don't. Right out of verse 12, don't. I'll rephrase it. Don't hang out in the works of darkness. Don't hang out in the works of darkness. See it in verse 12. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And it would be like a hypnosis type stupor sleep for me to hang out in the darkness. And as a believer, I need to cast off the works of darkness. Be done with them. Don't hang out near them. Don't play with them. Don't say, well, I'm not participating, but I can just hang out over here because I've been saved and it's okay. I have liberty. Don't do that. Cast them off. Be done with the works of darkness. I think back to the Old Testament. There was a number of kings in the Old Testament. You might remember Israel parted and they had then two kingdoms out of Israel after Solomon. David, Solomon. Then after Solomon under Rehoboam's rule, it split into two kingdoms. Israel kept the name that was the ten tribes. And those kings, one after another, were continually wicked. On the other branch, which took the name of Judah, the two tribes, they stayed with the family lineage of David. They came off on the other side, and their kings, for the most part, were good kings, but they had interspersed within them bad kings. Within Israel's side, you would remember the probably the most wicked of all of them. You might remember King Ahab. That was on the wicked side. Worshipper of Baal, husband of Jezebel. So bad that, to my knowledge, I've not yet met a child named Jezebel. You caught him to say name? Sorry. Me no down him you. <laughs> but people don't normally name their child Jezebel because of how wicked that family was. You come to the line of Judah and you watch as the Scriptures over and over through the books of First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, lists off how did the king do? And you watch as he has the actions in his life, and then there's a summary at the end of his life. And many times at the summary at the end of his life, it would say things like, and he followed the Lord as his father David. And sometimes it would say things like, and he followed in the wickedness as, and would name another wicked king. And as we come down through at the fifth generation from David, it's a guy by the name of Asa. Asa overall was a good king, loved the Lord, worshipped the Lord. But Asa had something, and I'm talking about the works of darkness, casting off the works of darkness. Asa had something that was going on within his kingdom that he did not take care of, and it caused problems down the line. I'll tell you what it was. It was the high places. In the Old Testament... God forbid, in the book of Leviticus, God forbid the people of Israel to have high places. What the high place was, the Gentiles would use it, and you can just imagine, get this picture, they would clear off a place up on a mountain, maybe it has a beautiful view from that mountain, and they would make their temples to their idols up in those high places, and they would go up into the mountain, and they would do their worship of the false gods in those high places. The people of Israel defeated the Gentiles in that area, perhaps removed those temples, and yet those high places were still there. You can just imagine, knock down a temple, but the foundation is still there. And in Asa's day, following the Lord, and yet he left the high place. I'll read for you from 1 Kings chapter 11. Listen to the summary of Asa's life. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. 
But the high places, this is verse 14, the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. Let me give you the picture here. Asa, king, perfect heart himself, just like David, his five generations before grandfather, followed after the Lord. And yet, the Scripture makes it very clear to note, Asa left those high places where they were. Asa in his heart was not going up to the high places and worshiping, and yet those high places still existed. I can even imagine, perhaps as he sat down, maybe one of his advisors would say something to him like, hey, do you remember what God said about the high places? And I can probably imagine as Asa would say things, but yeah, we're not worshiping idols there. It's just a high place. We go up, we enjoy a vacation, we don't have any sinful things going on at the high places. It's just a high place. It's not anything that we use against God. Asa's heart was right, and yet, can I say this, the works of darkness were still there. We come to Asa's son, a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, I'll jump to the summary of his life. This is found in 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 43. He reigned for 25 years. This is Asa's son, Jehoshaphat. It says, in Jehoshaphat, this is 1 Kings 22 verse 43, Jehoshaphat walked in all the ways of Asa his father. He turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, but the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. I don't know if you saw the shift there. In Asa's day, it was just a high place. But in Jehoshaphat's day, 25 years later, it was a high place where the people would take their offerings and their incense, and they would offer them to God at the high place. Do you see the shift? By the way, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's very clear, do not offer offerings and incense to God at the high places. In a slow way, they were shifting away from God, all the while seemingly staying close to God. You realize what's going on? They haven't cast off the works of darkness. They're still hanging out next to them. High places there in Asa's day. High places there with offerings and incense in Jehoshaphat's day. And I think you can probably put together the pieces. Jehoshaphat's son, how did things go? Jehoshaphat's son was a guy by the name of Jehoram. Jehoram, is, it's recorded in Second Chronicles about his life. And I'll just go ahead and tell you an insight here. Jehoram married Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. Guess how things are going to go for the kingdom now. I can just imagine as the conversations were going on, because by the way, Jehoshaphat, the dad, Jehoshaphat, and Ahab sat down and had a lot of conversations about reuniting the kingdom. They had a lot of conversations about being at peace with one another. And Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, fell in love with Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. Those two got married. And here's what it says in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 11. What happened with those high places? Moreover, Jehoram made high places in the mountains of Judah and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to commit fornication and compelled Judah thereto. And now here we have the high places are a place, the very thing that God said that it would be, a place to worship false gods. Cast off the works of darkness. Brothers and sisters, cast off. Practically speaking, in your life, there are some things that you just need to put away entirely. Perhaps you might say, it's okay if I do this because I'm not sinning in this, but you have no idea what the next generation is going to do with that very same thing. Your generation might be okay. The next generation might take that very same thing and play with it and turn it, out, turn it into an idolatrous thing and they fall into sin where you, Asa, and you, Jehoshaphat, were perfectly fine, but now that high place has stuck around in your life. Now, he's going to give us some examples of what those things might be. Some very specific works of darkness. What might those works of darkness look like in our lives? Verse 13, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. 
I'll look at each one of those, not in rioting and drunkenness. The word rioting literally means reveling in the streets. It has a lot to do with having a feast. And after the feast, you go out into the streets and you cheer and you have a good time. That's the word rioting. And along with rioting comes drunkenness. And I have a feeling that if we were to do a survey this morning, I have a feeling that we would have a very high percentage of people in our church right now that would say, last night there was rioting and drunkenness in my house line. By the very nature that it's the weekend. Am I right? Not in rioting and drunkenness. Don't you hear me well? I know that I'm preaching to the choir right now, but I think it's important for our young people to hear this. That kind of living is sin. He just named it. So, young people, if mom and dad tell you you're not allowed to go out in the street and go hang out with that person and that person and that person, it's because mom and dad are trying to keep you away from rioting and drunkenness. Mom and dad have the authority to speak into your life like that. And when you get angry at mom and dad for keeping you from going to spend time with those people, you are being rebellious in your heart. You're adding sin on top of sin. And by the way, mom and dad... God put that right and that responsibility in your hands for you to be the one who polices it for your children. It makes my heart sing when I hear things like, I don't let my child hang out with these people who live next door, but I do let them hang out with these people. It's because you're using discernment, mom and dad. You have the right to say, yes, you can be with these, and no, you cannot be with these. You have the right, and also with the right comes the responsibility. Because if you don't say it, you don't get to sit back and hope it turns out all right. Don't say things like, and I've heard this, well, I'm just praying that the Holy Spirit will get a hold of His heart. No, God gave you the authority, mom and dad, and He placed the authority in your life, and if you don't speak up with the authority given to you, you're shirking your responsibility, and God will hold you accountable for it one day. I'll leave that for next week's sermon. We'll be into parenting next week. I'll leave that for next week. Not in rioting and drunkenness. And then the next one is not in chambering and wantonness. I doubt that any of us used the phrase chambering this last week. The idea is going to bed with someone. And now you can think of a chamber. Chambering. Let's make a statement very clearly from the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 4. It says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. There's only one person whom you should be chambering with, and that is your spouse. If they're not yet your spouse, you don't belong chambering. If you are married, you don't belong chambering with anyone else. God will judge. And there's no need or no right for you to even act like perhaps something might happen. Steer clear of it. Chambering and wantonness. Remember what we said last week in the verse that was coming just before in verse 9. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. If you loved them, you would actually not follow through in adultery with them. If you loved them, you would care about them enough to where you wouldn't damn their soul to hell with your actions. Love doesn't do that. Chambering, not in chambering, not in wantonness. Wantonness is the sin of lust. Wantonness. You can hear it in wanting. It's lust. Jesus made it clear you can commit adultery in your heart. That's wantonness. You say, but I can't control how my mind goes. No, actually the Scripture says that you can. Wake up. Don't walk through life in a drunken, hypnotic 
stupor. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10 and verse 5 tells us how that happens. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. As a believer, you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can capture those thoughts. So when the thoughts of lust come upon your mind, you can capture it. You can cast it down. You can put it away from you long before you sit and dwell upon it. So take control of your thought life. Not in chambering, not in wantonness. Cast off the works of darkness. Be done with them. And then the third one that he has in this list, in verse 13, 14, he says, not in strife and envying. Not in strife and envying. I find it ironic, very interesting, that the first two in that list not in rioting and drunkenness, that's external. Everybody can see that. You go rioting and drunkening, people see it, they know it. Chambering and wantonness, even that one, people can see that one, that's external. You come to this last one, strife and envying, that's internal. You can go through your whole life envying other people and nobody else knows it, and they can pat you on the back and say, what a good Christian, but you yourself know that you're envying. Get the strife that's going on inside of you. Here, here, here's what I'm seeing in this. Here's what I'm seeing. One sin is not worse than the other sin. We have a way of thinking that there is such a thing as a respectable sin. Like this one's not so bad and that one's so much worse. No, cast off all the works of darkness. Be done with all of them, including the ones that are inside of your heart because as you're coming through your sanctification, your life should be different. You should be excited about the glorification. Looking forward. And then the second thing I see here in verse 14 is don't make provision for the flesh in all of its lusts. So verse 14, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. Don't make provision for it. Don't give it space in all of its lusts. Look back at chapter 8 with me. We'll come back to chapter 13 in just a moment. Look at chapter 8, verse number 5. Back in chapter 8, he made many statements about the flesh and the spirit and how your desires of the flesh will be fighting against the will of the spirit. See it in verse 5. They that are of the, after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, for to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now I want you to help me in verse 7. There's a word that's very important. Here it is. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it, cannot, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Your flesh is enmity against God. Friend, I now know why I'm looking forward to glorification so much. Because I want to quit fighting with my flesh. All through this sanctification process, I'm fighting with my flesh. But when I get to glorification, I don't have to fight the flesh anymore. I'm perfect. I'm with Jesus. And this flesh fight is done with. But in the meantime, I'm not going to give any space to the flesh Put off the works of darkness. Don't give even one little space to the flesh and all of its lust. I have to push back against that. Be done with it. So we've seen the do's. We've seen the don'ts. Now let's have a look at the do's. Same verses. Romans chapter 13. Same verses. Let's see the do's. Now the first one is walk honestly. Let us walk honestly, he says, as in the day. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Your life should be marked by honesty. Your integrity is very important. Jesus' words, let your yes be yes and your no be no. You should not have to go through life. Well, I promise yes this. Here's, here's our modern way. I promise this on my mother's grave. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to add on the extra promise. For their day it was, I swear by the temple. And another would say, well, I swear by the gold inside the temple. Another one, I swear by heaven, and I swear by those who are in heaven. No, leave it off. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Walk honestly as in the day. Here's the picture. 
When you see someone walking across a field during the day, you don't even start to think twice about them. You see them walking, you can see where they came from, you can see where they're going, you don't get worried about them, you just see them walking. You never even think twice about it. But, if you see somebody walking in your yard at night, now things are quite suspicious. This past Monday morning, early Monday morning, I went out to Anita, left here at 4 o'clock. I came up to the gate. Kevin was in the hospital with his baby. Kevin's normally the guard, guard gate at the night. Braxton's normally here if Kevin's off, but Braxton was out at Anita. So last Sunday night, don't tell the rascals, we had no security guard on last Sunday night. Me bliet save. If you're a rascal and you go, ooh, now you watch out, all right? So last Saturday, Sunday night, no security. Monday morning, I'm going to drive out. I drove up to the gate. I knew there's no guards on. Me one piece. I came up to the gate. I got out of the truck. Go unlock the gate. I drive the truck through, and I'm watching. The whole time, I was watching. I, my heart was racing. I turned off the truck, put the key in my walked back to the gate, locked the gate the whole time I'm watching, I'm watching I come back to the car, I get in the car close the door, lock it and then start it I was so nervous, do you realize if I'd have seen just one person walking down the road, I would have been suspicious, and they could have had no ill intent whatsoever and I would have been terrified you know why? because when you see somebody walking in the dark Mm, there's a bit of suspicion there. I'll give an example of this, okay? Let's make it practical now. Here's the example. Right now, Heineken is making a product called 0.0. How many of you have seen that? All right. I love watching American football. And Americans who watch American football love to drink beer while they watch American football. But I don't drink beer. Now Heineken makes a product, 0.0. And I'll be honest with you, I think from everything that I can study and find out, if I got a Heineken 0.0, I could drink a handful of them. I would never get drunk. I would be able to hang out with all of my football-loving, beer-drinking friends, and I wouldn't be in drunkenness. But do you realize what would be happening? I'd be hanging out in the high places. You follow me? Because who knows who might see, well, pastor's drinking a Heineken. So that must mean it's okay to drink Heineken. Leave all the other ones off, but that one must be okay. Do you follow me? Brothers and sisters, be careful about hanging out in the high places. Cast off the works of darkness. Just be done with it. I don't want someone to come along behind me and stumble in sin because they saw something that I did that was perfectly innocent. I don't want somebody falling in sin. Somebody else saying, well, pastor had one beer, so I can have one too. And one leads to two and leads to three. And somebody's wife gets belted up and their kids go without food because they saw that pastor did something. Guys, cast off the works of darkness. Walk completely in light. Walk as in the day. Walk honestly. Don't let the works of darkness and the provisions of the flesh and all of its lust come along beside you. What else can you do? Put on the armor of light. See it in verse 12. Night is far spent. Day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I find it very interesting that he didn't say, cast off the works of darkness and put on the works of light. He didn't say put on the works of light. That would go completely against everything he's talked about in the book of Romans. He says, put on the armor of light, not the works of light. Because we don't become righteous by our good works. We become righteous because we trusted Jesus. And we trust Jesus, and then He produces good works through us by the fruit of the Spirit coming out in our life. So here He says, put on the armor of light. That makes me wonder, 
what in the world are you talking about, Paul? Put on the armor of light. Well, there's no other reference in all of the New Testament to this phrase, armor of light, but he does make a statement in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 that gives us an insight to it. Let me read that for you. Ephesians 5 and verse 8. For we were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Now, key phrase there, in the Lord. So remember he said in Romans 13, put off the works of darkness, put on the armor of light. What does that look like? It looks like me being in Christ Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I'm now in Jesus. And oh, by the way, you're there in Romans chapter 13. Look down at verse 14 because he's going to say it that way there. Look at verse 14. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh. So then I would say put on the armor of light is the same thing as put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I am in Christ, and it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life that I'm now living in the flesh, I'm living by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So how's this work? I put myself in Jesus. Crucified with Him, Romans chapter 6. Crucified with Him. And now He's going to be living through me, and I'm living in His resurrection. I'm not putting on works. I'm putting on Jesus. I'm putting off all of those deeds of the flesh. And I'm letting Jesus be the one who lives through me. This Christian life, brothers and sisters, is not one of sleepily wandering along. You're not in a stupor. Wake up. Your life should be marked by action. Walk in the day. Don't allow provisions for the flesh. As we said earlier, leave the lesser thing so that you can gain the greater. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. It is twilight, spiritually speaking. You and I have no idea when Jesus will return. It's twilight. It's time to put away the darkness and all of its things. Put it away and walk in the light. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I'm going to pray. And at the end of our prayer, I'd like to give an invitation this morning. You prepare your heart. Father, Lord, I pray that you would do a work within our hearts this morning. Perhaps some of us have not been transformed by the gospel. Perhaps we've made a justification belief statement, but we've not begun to walk through sanctification. We dread, perhaps, the day of glorification because we think that the sleep is so enjoyable. So Lord, I pray that you would do your Holy Spirit work in our heart. Allow us to look at Romans 12 and Romans 13 as a mirror. Am I living up to this? Has there been a change? Has there been a transformation in my life? And if not, Lord, I pray that we would take that seriously today and that we would wake up. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 7009-1000. Again, it's 7009-1000.